What's going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, we have Brandon Steiner here with us, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, thank you. I love this. Well, I just first time I've used this platform. I like it. Thank you. I thank you. Working in my day to day. Absolutely, we we love that. I, we actually um we actually partnered with them. I own this company called Build Your Empire, and we partnered with the Modi app like four or five months ago. So it's something that we're using to document content and do podcasts on, and it's a great way to just interact with people and actually document it. So I appreciate that to start. <laughs> cool. Well, cool. So first thing I wanna I wanna just kind of jump right into something really important, and that is number one that I very much appreciate you taking the time. I know that you're super busy, and you just came out with your previous book called Living on Purpose, and you just sent me a copy, as well as your old book known as You Gotta Have Balls. So I just wanna first off and say thank you for the package that you sent out to buy the Build Your Empire house. And one thing I do wanna touch on is the book itself before we kind of get into your story, and just kind of let, let the people know why you wrote the book and what it means to you. But before, I just wanna mention one thing, like Casey, like, you know, I think it's important for people to know that I'm, I'm, I love gift giving. So if you, first of all, you have to love gift giving. If you're giving gift giving without love, people feel that. Okay. So like when I get these like emails with these pre, you know, where, you know, these emails that wish me a happy holidays. Yeah. That's called ass email. And it's, um, you know, it's a this standard video. I'm like, no, no, that's not, that's not thoughtful gift giving, but you know, thoughtful gift giving could really be a great relationship starter because it's so yeah. hard to start relationships but when you give something like that's meaningful you know that i knew that you would love like you know i sent i sent you something phoenix yep. like I that maybe would be relative to you the pan i you know a few things but not something that would make you feel uncomfortable totally I, I, if i send you a rolls royce you'd be like oh man what's this guy want <laughs> you know what i mean and, and people sometimes misunderstand that like just because you buy something expensive for somebody doesn't mean you got a relationship yeah but something thoughtful with love, like, and just a little thoughtfulness and a personal note really is a great relationship starter. For sure. And I take my relationship starters. Like, that's the first time I met you, Casey, right? Yep. But I heard a lot about you and everything. And Thank I you. was like, I want to I want to start the relationship off right. So I always said something that's thoughtful, but yep. not something that's going to make you uncomfortable. It also not look like something that I just threw out at you. You know, it looked like I didn't give it much thought. Totally. No, and great way, such a great way to start relationships. And, and but, um, you know, this is my third book. And I always tell people like, God, the first book I wrote because I couldn't get a job coming out of college. <laughs> and I said, one day when I get a job, I want to write a book about the importance of, you know, what you need to do when you're younger, when you're a kid, when you're in high school and college, because a lot of times you think you got your whole life ahead of you. Yeah. I, I worry about when I get out of school, I worry about that later, but you're building your brand really. In my mind, you start building your brand as a young teenager. And that's Perfect. the first book. The balls book was like everywhere I went, which I'm sure you're going to ask me this question, Casey. I know you are. Like, how'd you get started? How'd you build Steiner? And yeah. it's a fair because Steiner Sports is a very unusual company. And uh, you got to have balls. Really gives you like the breakdown of, you know, listen, I was just a poor kid from Brooklyn. There was no sports memorabilia really industry. You know, yeah. like, how'd you get, you know, so it really gives you the breakdown of how I got started and what I did. Living on purpose is, and, and, I think it's, I, at first I bought, I wrote this book for people that are a little older that have had some success and question, you know, do you want significance? Do you want to be extraordinary? Do you want to be the best that ever was? Yeah. Do you want to be just better than somebody who's made some money? Do you want to be somebody who went into your industry, took it and made it better than when you found it? 
Yeah. Then you want to read the book. Like, but a lot of people are cool with just making some money, the success for the happy. For sure. I just that intent. That would have been misery for me to go be in a business or an industry. I didn't know I was going to get in the sports business when I was younger, but okay. I always knew that I was going to get into an industry, disrupt it, make it better than when I found it, and want to be one of the best that ever was in my industry. That's amazing. So, you know, and then as I, as I move towards that, I see some of the trials and tribulations, to be honest with you. Okay. There's, there is there's some gives on it, and there's some black uh, holes, and there's some there's some tough decisions you have to make and compromises yep. that you have to get there. And you got to be careful because there's some things that, and, and this is where people struggle with it because you really got to be, make sure you got your eye on the pillars because yeah. you come home, you got all this money and then your wife, you know, there's an empty closet or your kids hate you yeah, or, or you're unhealthy or you haven't had fun. You can't remember the last time you had fun. Yeah. So I'm trying to explain in this book, which originally was for, maybe older people, but I realize a lot of successful young kids now, you know, kids that are teenagers or in their twenties that are highly successful. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to get the wrong impression that just because you have a successful company made a lot of money, doesn't mean you're successful and it doesn't mean you're going to be significant. And who's going to remember to impact, you know, what, so I was trying to break down how to prepare for that. How do you prepare for extraordinary? How do you prepare for significance? And not just compromise and settle for success. Yeah. And I think uh, last thing I'll just say is, I think success sometimes could be a deterrent. Okay. You have some success, and you start feeling good. Good job. <laughs> I'm good. Now I'm good. Yeah. I got a car. I got a nice apartment. Got the clothes and sneakers I want. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Show me somebody who's got a lot of money whose kids hate them. Show me a lot of money where the guy's got to go or the person's got to go to the doctor three times a week because his blood pressure's high or his hips bothering him, whatever. Yeah. Not that successful. So yeah. I had to give like the parameters of what you could do to avoid the trips to the doctor, the trips to having your kids go to therapy. And yet you can still go for the money grab. I love the money grab. Yeah. I, mean, I love making money. You know, I raised you right now, Casey down the street for a quarter. You know, <laughs> I battle right now with you to compete on a contract or whatever it is. Okay. On the other hand, I'm not going to ignore my family. I'm not going to ignore my health. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to make sure that I have a little respect going on with some of the other pillars. That was the point of the book. For sure. No, that, that's amazing. So growing up, like when did you get into sports? Like, was it something at an early age you grasped onto it or when, what was that? What did that look like as a child? I mean, I was, I was not one of these athletes that got hurt. Okay. Oh, I, 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 I made the top 90% of the athletes in my neighborhood possible. I was a mediocre player. Played hard, you know, hopefully got chosen in. <laughs> yeah, busy yeah. Neighbor. A lot of kids. You had to, you know, you had to work politically to make sure you got in some of these games. But I think the probably makeup, you know, I, I went to Syracuse, got my Syracuse. Yep. And uh, I, I lived in Division One football player. And that was the first time I saw some of the business aspects of it. And uh, his, also, he was a running back. And his, the other running back was Joe Morris, mm-hmm. who played for the Giants, number one. He was a number, first round pick okay. for the Giants. And, and I kind of got started. Those guys. Okay. So I kind of started with that. And, you know, at the time, I didn't see it as a a business. I just happened to live with. And by the way, when I lived with a, in 1978, when I lived with a black football player, that was not a norm or a common thing. Okay. You know, people hung out with white people, black people hung out with black people. Once in a while, you cross paths. But, but I, I, you know, I have no, I, you know, I come from a a house that, you know, that just, that just wasn't a problem for me. Yeah. It was a great, great learning experience. Little did I know, which I always say everything happens in life for a reason. Yep. And 
believe in divine intervention. I, I didn't know how important that relationship was going to be because as much as you may like, whether it's Asian people, people of color, whatever it is, but there's, there is fundamental difference between all of us and the way we live and some yeah. of our habits. And living with a black person was just tremendous education. Okay. Um, you, you learn a lot about, and then sure enough, here I am getting into the sports business, dealing with a lot of players of color, dealing with a lot of different nationalities. And it really, my eyes were wide open to it. So just a little bit of the lingo and understand how to talk with them and yeah. be much more comfortable. You, you know, players can feel that. Totally. And I think it helps Steiner Sports going. For sure. So what year did you start Steiner, Steiner Sports? This is my 30th year. 30th year? Yeah, it's my 30th year. Wow, which is, congrats. It makes me old. That was kind of like before you were born, probably. <laughs> I, I was born in 2000. Yeah, so, you know, we, we got this going uh, a little bit ahead of you. Okay, a little, and, a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going to be around for 30 minutes, let alone 30 years. Okay. So, so, so with Steiner Sports, like when you first started that, what was the intent for it, and how has it progressed into what it is today? Um, it's it's a great question, and and – What's interesting, you know, I, I started a company with about 10 or 15 other people. And okay. those 10 or 15 people, by the way, are not in business. And the reason is, is because they all went into business with an idea and they were really firm and strong about their idea. And I went into my idea with, I would say it's not survival the fittest. You probably read that in school. You heard <laughs> about that. So yep. I, it's survival flexible. So I went in and I started my company, Extremely Flexible. I was in the restaurant hotel business. I've been trained. I've been in the kitchen and been working since I'm So when I started Steiner, I was really just doing PR for restaurants and sports bars. Um, I had started the sports bar concept and I was doing a lot of marketing for restaurants. And then on the side, I was doing some stuff, for, you know, I'd do a little here and there for sports. Yeah. And I built my sports business. But you got to remember in the mid 80s, you know, it was no real sports business. It was IMG. There was a couple of companies. It wasn't mm. like it is. Now. So I think it's important to know, like, I, it's not that I didn't love the business that I started. It's just that I knew I was going to grow into something else. And I was flexible looking for what that something else was. But at the same time, I was pretty committed to doing a good job for marketing restaurants and hotels. It's one yeah. of my favorite that I get to speak to when I go around the country. Okay. To speak. I love hotels and restaurants because it's kind of like my... Starting kind of my... That's so, amazing. You know, I think it, I think after a few years, I started making some good relationships with players. And believe it or not, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie here. I, I was doing fan mail. I was opening up player mail. Okay. <laughs> I was like doing golf outings for them. And yeah, I was yeah. Just really doing little stuff, and I was just really just trying to find any kind of work that would give me the ability to have to call a player up. And I got a little lucky. I started in in the early '90s, right around uh, '91, '92. Okay. Believe it or not. By the way, we're going through a retail disaster blow up where nobody's going to retail anymore. Yeah. But in the early, all these superstores were opening up, like uh, Mall of America's, Kmart's, Walmart's. Yep. Uh, Macy's was expanding. Everyone was expanding. So all these uh, retail accounts, I had a couple of friends that sold were vendors. And every time all these stores opened up, they would make the vendors bring players. Okay. But I, in 91, 92, I did several thousand appearances. I opened up more malls and stores around the country. Wow. And that was probably the beginning of Steiner, just meeting, you know, the Johnny Unitas's or Bobby Hulls and Gordy Howes and all these old school names that were much bigger names 25 years ago. Yeah. Kind of how things kind of transferred over from the uh, in the retail boom. Like okay. now, the way the that is in social media, you've got to convert the ability to market players to social media companies or through co uh, companies that use social media. And yeah. that's how you make that. 
opposed to a player showing up for a store and 300 people maybe come and sign an autograph for him. Yeah. Now you get a, per- a guy on social media doing something to get you interested in the product. That's kind of how the changeovers happen. First, so yeah, I was about to ask, like, what do you, how do you think the like, internet and social media has like impacted the sports space since you've been doing it for 30 years? I mean, I, I think, you know, what's, what's, what's kind of the same, believe it or not, is, is that it's very hard for athletes to understand that just because you're popular doesn't mean that you're, you know, you can be popular, but you have to, you have to understand why you're popular and who you're popular with. Yeah. And any business, you know, and athletes are a business. Everybody's their own entity really. Yeah. But a lot of athletes think they're popular because they're, they're popular, but you got to understand yeah. why somebody is attracted to expect it. So what's, what's, what, and, and it's always difficult. Like every, all these athletes who want to have their own brands, but yeah, it's, you know, to build a brand, you got to know who your customer is. So you got like an offensive lineman who's this lunch pail guy and, <laughs> you know, lovable, big dude, 350 pounds. And he's, yeah. you know, he's a Mercedes commercial. Like, <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, you need to do a four pickup truck. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm really, I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I'm kind of with you because you're this big guy. I'm this big guy. And, so it's amazing how athletes, you know, you got to learn to say no. You got to understand how to cultivate your brand. And I think that the social media really gives the individual athlete a lot more power to work in, on their own and do their own thing. Where before they kind of need the league or they need the players association. Yeah. Now you can go create your own following, your own business, I think, a lot easier. Oh. I think where the athlete struggling a little is trying to figure out besides getting paid to post. Yeah, you know, how I monetize that, and that takes some strategy. Like, who should I be hooked up with? What other social or companies that have influence do I want to hook up with and connect with? And making sure they don't connect with the wrong ones. But um, I think the the celebrity now is as strong and as powerful. In the thirty years I'm doing this, yeah, I don't remember a time when the celebrity has been stronger. Totally, uh, totally bounds. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so <laughs> guys, you. I mean, influencers now have now creeped into it. So. Yeah. entrepreneurship is hot whereas um you know those, those are those you know if you're an entrepreneur you know you carry a lot of weight in this life you know people really respect yeah influencers and so if you're an athlete you have to be an influencer to get the full respect totally no, you that, gotta that have hours uh, yeah so when was your i would say transition because obviously we connected on instagram like when was your transition as a business owner to like start putting out content on social i saw that you recently did an interview with susan sly i know um I know Susan and her daughter, they're great people. I met them down in Phoenix. But when was your transition as an individual to like start building your brand on social in a sense? Well, you know, I've been playing around with, you know, the internet and social pretty regularly. But believe it or not, I, I um, invited, I don't know if you ever met this kid, Connor Blakely. Dude, uh, he wanted me to bring so, it up. Great friend of mine. <laughs> this, this is like, true. Like best friends. <laughs> Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix at the Harvey McKay Roundtable, right? Yep. You know, listen, my son is about 27. One of my favorite my lines from my son is, Dad, you can't go out and meet enough people, especially different types of people. Yeah. You know, and, and Harvey's favorite line is, don't meet people that do exactly what you do. You got to meet different people. Yeah. So I go to the McKay Roundtable, which I love, love Harvey. Yep, I know Harvey. And I run into Connor. And I had never met a 17, 18-year-old. Um, I didn't really understand. You know, I'm, I'm dropping out of school. I got my own business, whatever. I, so I pulled Connor aside. I said, dude. You need to come and hang out with me for a few days. I like your game, but you're you a little rough around some spots. Like, yeah. I think you need to come. And, and I've said that to a few different people over here, but most people don't come. But Connor came like two months later, spent like four days in my house. Okay. So we're playing back. 
I got an indoor, I got an indoor court at my house. Okay. So playing hoops, uh, and Connor says, "Look, I'm gonna bring over a couple friends." And he brings over this one guy, uh, Dylan, and another guy, another kid, Jesse. And Dylan runs Generation Z Summit. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yep, I know him. So you know, a good group. I like that. And he goes, "Would you do me a favor? Would you come and speak at my uh, conference?" So that. I say, I don't speak for free. I, I don't think so. By the time we finished balling and everything, I was like, you know something? I'm not doing anything. I'm coming. Yeah. I was a little hesitant because it was like all teenagers. And uh, so I go speak at the Generation Z Summit, and I'm definitely about 40 years older than anybody in the room. <laughs> so I was nervous. You know, I was okay. like, I don't know if I'm going to the kids. And, and I got to tell you, I love these kids. And it was, it was the beginning of something tremendous for me because – there was probably about 800 kids in the audience. Okay. And I definitely made friends. I mean, I met all of them because I was there for five hours signing my book. Yeah. But I, I made friends with about 15 of them that followed up with me, came to my house, came up to the office. And they, and they really educated me and mentored me. We got into two-way mentorship. Yeah. Because I've always been a lot of kids, but I had not been mentored. Totally. And these kids, these kids clearly mentored me, starting with Connor. Uh, Jesse, Dylan, I mean, so Elliot Robinson, so many of these yeah. kids. And they showed me how to set up Swish. So many of these kids showed me how to set up my LinkedIn, my Instagram. But not only to set it up, it's a lot of older people like me. They think just by setting it up and posting <laughs> once in a while that they're active. Yeah, yeah. And I posted, commented once in a while. Like, they really dug down deep with me. I mean, literally in my house for hours, show me how to post, show me how to really create uh, a relationship with my with you know, the people that were linked in with. And that was the game changer. I did something I was uncomfortable with. Yep. Did something I really didn't want to do. And it ended up being one of the best things I did. And then my wife was like, where are you going? It's like midnight. I said, well, you know, we're going to the diner. She's like, you're not going to sleep? I said, well, the kids aren't free. So you're hanging out. I'm like, I got to tell you, man, it's been a tremendous education. That's amazing. And I think it's a real game changer for me. That that was phenomenal. And Connor was the guy who really started it. That's amazing. And then, yeah, uh, me and Connor, we kind of go back like two years. Great friend of yeah, mine. You guys are, and you know, I really have a new respect. Um, not that I didn't, res- not maybe it's not the word res- new respect, but I just have a really great understanding now of a lot of the way now teenagers right now are thinking. Yeah. Kids in their early twenties, it's 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 unbelievable, and I got a lot of confidence in where uh, that group is going. That's amazing. You know, just a phenomenal uh, grind and grit and yeah. the ability to get get stuff done and. It's been beautiful. And that's the revelation. You know, I went from, I think I had like 50,000 people on my Facebook. I think I had okay. like a million free. I think I had like, yeah, you're crushing it. You're crushing it. They, they turned everything around for me and the right way. Okay. So but I'm having fun. So the real question I think Connor would like this is um, who, who won in hoops? <laughs> well, Connor, we smacked Connor around the first time. He didn't come <laughs> because he thought it was a bunch of older guys and we okay. tried to smack him around. But in all defense, in all honesty, like so, we did smack him around the first time. We killed him. Okay. But then he, when he back, when he's, he's been back, he must have got went to a trainer or his game was elevated. Okay. You know, I love the love the competitiveness in him. Like so, he came back all fiery, and so he got his game together. So that's cool. For sure. No, no, Connor, he's a great friend of mine. He was actually just down at the Bill Drenbar house like last week. He's always stopping by. But um, I, I want to touch on something. I think this is something that a lot of people, if they don't know exactly your story, that they um, would love to know more about it. And I know that I picked up your book yesterday and I um, started reading it on my flight 
this morning. And obviously on the front cover, it says how a kid from Brooklyn started from scratch, bought Yankee Stadium and created a sports empire. And I think the, the, the statement that I want to go over is when you go over and say bought Yankee Stadium. I want you to kind of touch on that for the people that may not know that story and kind of explain how that happened. Sure. I was partners with the Yankees. It's been a tremendous relationship and, and a partnership took a while to develop, but the Yankees gave me an opportunity to team up with them. So we sell their game use all the, we do experiential stuff with them, their game use Jersey, uh, the bases, their pitching rubber, all that stuff. Yeah. When I had done that deal, I'd asked the Yankees if, if they ever decide to do a new stadium, the old stadium was like one of a kind. I said, I really want to really take that stadium down. I have a vision about how I want to do it. And it was a big undertaking. So when that time came, they called me and said, look, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that, which was a huge opportunity. We had to lay out about $18 million to do it. Okay. So it was a little, bit, a little hefty, you know, for to, to buy a stadium that was about to get knocked down and pull out all the uh, remaining uh, assets yeah. and then figure out how to sell uh, from dirt to grass. We sold more grass over a million dollars legal. We lifted the, <laughs> we the last field of grass and we freeze dried it. That's and amazing. And then we uh, drums and drums of dirt and made hundreds of products for the last Yankee Stadium dirt. The outfield walls, the foul poles, the locker room. So I had a kind of a really vision about how I wanted to do that. And I think the real key is, I, and I think people underestimate it, but it's one thing to get a great project uh, under your belt. Yeah. It's another thing to have a great partner. You know, great projects only end up working out with great results when you have a great partnership. And I feel like the Yankees, they, they helped me for all the right reasons, not just the money. They were, they understood their brand was so important. Yeah. But a lot of people say that, but then they don't really back it up. Totally. But the Yankees back it up. They understood the brand and the importance of that stadium, the emotional connection. You think about, you know, Mantle, all the things that happen, all the World Series. And they understood that taking up that stadium apart delicately. Yeah. Because we know it was a big money maker. Totally. You know, we made a little bit of money, but not really. It was really a love. And more importantly, to take care of the fans. Yeah. And what I love that the Yankees were extremely patient with me to make sure that, that process went right. And they supported it and helped me promote it. And a lot of other teams that I've done this with, this is not the only team I've done yeah. this with. The only I have taken apart others. But nobody has acted like the way the Yankees did and believe in my story and believe in what the path we should take and then helping and adding to it. And I'm very grateful. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's, you gotta have a love affair That's, with a project yeah, like that. And for sure. Sometimes, you know, there's so much pressure on revenue growth and reoccurring revenue. And sometimes you just gotta do shit for the right reasons because it's just right. And for it's sure. good for your customers. And uh, I always say promotions are for people, not for profits. Okay. And some objects are for people, not for profit. But it's hard, you know, when you get to your P&L to, to live with it. But we did. And that was a four-year project. Okay. Pretty wow. That's, and what year was that? Um, it was 2000. It started in 2000, the end of 2008, and okay. went through about 2012 or 13. That's super so cool. Was, so what, what, one thing that I wanted to ask you was um, in, in the book, You, you Got to Have Balls, on one of the pages says, you said, find your passion through commitment as opposed to the other way around. And I, when I first read that, it didn't really stick with me. So I wanted you to explain that to not only me, but my audience, because I think that's something super powerful that I definitely wanted you to touch on and explain more in depth. Well, you know, you hear the word passion all over the place. And I get that. I mean, passion yeah. is a nice word. I'm passionate. But I think sometimes you, you, you're searching for passion and it doesn't kind of work that way. I, I have to add something even since I've written that book. I think yeah. the most important thing, like when I walk around my office, 
I look for people that are, like I talked to a lot of the CEOs and bosses and they're looking for loyalty or hardworking. No. I look for people that agree with me or we have an agreement and understand what we're trying to do together. Okay. Show me an employee that's hardworking, but they don't agree with you. Show me a girlfriend or boyfriend that maybe they like you, but they don't necessarily agree with you and you. And where's that relationship really going? Yeah. So the first initiator, I always think, and I talk about the living on purpose book is the initiator. Everything is a purpose and a dream, not passion. Yeah. Dreaming something of having a purpose and then coming up with, with an understanding and agreement of what it's going to take to get it done. Yeah. So when you're working for someone, it's so important that you come up with an understanding with them and agree what they're telling you to do or what you're asking them to do and have an understanding and agreement. Because if you don't have that, then you're always going to be questioning the whole thing. And yeah. Or and what are you looking at doing the next thing or maybe leaving, going somewhere else? When you have understanding and agreement, which when I walk around my company, I have about 75 employees. Okay. I'm looking at people saying, do I have an understanding and agreement with these people? Because if I do, the next thing that follows is commitment. Because once we have an understanding, once we have an understanding, we agree. Yeah. You're committed. You're looking to go anywhere else. I have an understanding with that person. Yeah. Then you get committed. And when you have an understanding, agreement, and commitment, you then passion follows and it flows. Okay. So it's understanding, agreement, commitment, and then passion. And everything gets initiated. The roots underneath the tree, if the trunk is commitment. Yeah. Under that tree, the roots is purpose. Dreaming. Got it. Have a reason why you want to do something, and it could be a money grab, by the way. Uh, it could be you know, you're just you're trying to find a prom date and you're committed, you know, you, you're gonna do anything to do it. Yeah, once you have a purpose and, and a real vision of something you want, what's getting in your way, and then you know, getting an understanding how you're gonna go get it and, and agree that you're gonna go do it. So, like, it's, it's like you go on a diet, I'm gonna go on a diet, yeah, but if you're going on a diet because you want to go fit into the clothes that you have, you don't fit into the suit you have, or you're yeah, not fitting yeah. into the have now you understand and then all of a sudden understanding and agreement comes in i gotta eat less yeah I start working or and then you get committed got but it if you just go on the diet and you don't have an understanding agreement how it's hard to get committed because yeah minutes later you can be that, makes sense. Books, right? that makes sense no i love it i love it so, so well, I, just one thing one thing real quick is like yep. you know laying up on the passion increase purpose and dreaming especially i mean dreaming is so powerful and so cheap free yeah and then get, get an understanding and agreement that leads you to commitment and once you're there man you're on your way because you'll see the passion just gonna start flowing yeah for sure so one thing i want to ask you is like there's a lot of young people that are i would say 16 to 25 that's the average listener base and i i, I want to ask you is like when you were first starting your business what was that first i would say success that sort of like built that momentum internally for you that like helped you keep going because i i talked to a lot of young people at different events or even doing interviews and I, I feel like everyone has that one little pivot point. You may or may not, but do you have that point in your life where you like you had that success? I mean, I've had so many at Steiner, but for me, and that's why I'm so, when I talk with uh, you know people that are younger, before yeah. even you start, a lot of your success and happens before you start your business. You know, when you're trying and sampling different things, it's yeah. so important to not say, well, this is not my business. So let me just see how this goes. Like I always took everything really seriously. So even when I was starting to work at 10 and 12 years old, those projects are the things that gave me the confidence that when eventually when I went on my own, you know, I killed it. And yeah. when I wasn't doing it, I had the ability to pick myself up, dust myself off and keep going. So I think it's so important when you're younger is not to play off the fact that you're younger 
and you got time to learn. And, you know, this is not really my company. I ran everything like it was my company. Okay. I was in the room, it was my company. Because if you do, if you, if you have that kind of focus, then when you're making those mistakes, you know, you're not, it's like, it's almost like when I see kids practicing and they're just fooling around. I'm like, yeah. if you're not practicing at game speed, what really help you, if you're not practicing in game mode, yeah. then you're, you're not complete. I mean, how much is that practice helping you? And that's why I tell kids, it's like, even though you're not ready, maybe ready to open up your own business yet, as you're practicing, which is sometimes what you do as a teenager, early 20s, yeah. practice at game speed. Just because you're working in a restaurant, make believe you own the goddamn thing. Be the owner of that restaurant. Why not? Yeah. Not your, so, that, you know, the loss isn't as severe, but the experience is. Got it. I've had a lot of moments where I've had those aha moments that give me that confidence. And a lot of them in high school and college that, you know, I just dreamt up shit. Yeah. Tried sampled stuff and then boom, like, wow. I can't believe what I put together. <laughs> boatload of money. At least back then I thought it was a boatload of money. Yeah, know? yeah. For sure. So, so, like, so where do you spend most of your time nowadays on a day-to-day basis? Like, are you in the office? Are you out and about? Like, where's your time being allocated nowadays? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different cat. I am a routine guy as far as like when I go to sleep and, and some of my eating when I, when I get up and when okay. I work out in the morning. But during the day, every day is different. You know, I do a lot of media. So I'll be in the city doing some interviews. Okay. Sometimes I'm just focusing on my social media, um, calling customers up. I'm still a guy who likes to call customers up. Okay. Uh, coach the customers. And customers are shocked because we have so many. Cu- but I, I still like making a sale. So, you know, I, I, my company is not big enough where I have to, you know, I, I still can get into the nitty gritty on things. Yeah. But I, the most important thing, which I just want to add to your question, which is what's probably one of the most important parts of my job. And I think, you know, for anyone listening, that's, that's, you know, preparing one day to open up a business. I think talent acquisition is critical. Talent. You know, being able to find people and keep people and, and really understand how to get good people mm-hmm. is probably the hardest thing I've experienced in all the 30 years I've been running a business is you know not only finding and getting the people but keeping them and understanding okay. how you know how employees think and, and trying to get do the right thing by them and i have done a good job in that area and i've definitely screwed up and uh, you know, I, I wish okay. i had done a bunch of junctures and, and uh and listen you look at a sports team right what's the yeah. real deal i mean if you're rooting for a sports team i mean how good is the general manager and ownership only as good as talent acquisition mm-hmm. right makes sense so it's the company like you know, being a senior level manager, if you're not focused in on your employees and on finding the best employees and trying to keep the best employees and losing the worst employees, you're probably not doing what I consider the most important part of your job. Okay. Makes sense. And you, you said you have 75 people full-time in-house now? Yeah. We've, we've had as many as a hundred. Okay. But, uh, you know, with, with, you know, so much online now, we don't totally. need as many people. So we're down to about 75 or 80 between full-time and part-time. Okay. In the seventies, full time, another five or ten part time. Okay, that, that's amazing. So, you said uh, morning routine. You, you said you... amazing's a word. I, I'd say a little bit of a pain in the ass, but okay. on certain days, it's a blessing. People yeah, yeah. work hard. Yeah. So, so what would you say if you had to simplify it, like from when it comes to keeping people and like actually find you say talent acquisition? Like, obviously, I, I heard this quote one time where it's like, "Find character, build talent," or what, I'm not sure exactly how it goes, but what would you say is like the key to actually building a company and a culture that people want to be a part of? Well, I, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a line that I've been using since I'm a kid, which is, you know, fill your people's mind with training rather than trouble. So training and okay. challenging was critical. 
but there's another little like there's this other thing out there like a lot of people talk about happy you know you want to be happy i see you know, i'm not happy i'm like no no, no, no no i don't even know what that means i, I don't really know what <laughs> okay. you're going to come to work and you're trying to find happiness at work but what you really mean i think where people get confused but again to answer your question you have to create progress and growth for your people personal growth you have to create situations where they're growing as people, growing as business people, yeah, um, and challenging people. When you're challenged and growing, I would say if you're green and growing, or you're ripe or rotten, and you want to try to avoid people from getting ripe. Got it. And it doesn't matter. People are like, well, I've been here 20 years. Blah blah blah. Wah, wah, wah. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm like, you're green or growing, or you're ripe or rotten. And you to keep your people happy. To great, I think one of the core things in culture is to challenge uh, your staff. Okay. Create great learning environment where they're not only learning about more about business and sales, but they're learning about health. They're learning about how to be better people. They're learning about how to be a better husband, better wife, yeah. father, friend. You know, I try to bring a diverse amount of speakers here that teach uh, my okay. staff about all aspects of life, not just selling. Um, and, and I think growth is a huge part in progress. So as an as a business, like you know, growing your business is important because then your people can grow. Yeah, wanting to be the best and then doing the things you need to do to be the best and stay the best is something that keeps your people happy. Makes sense. And it's hard. So if, if you're working for a company that isn't the best in its category or close to being the best or on its way to being the best, what does that say about your company? And then what does that say about you? Like why why if you I mean what, is that, what kind of yeah. person are you? It means that you're just in for the ride. And you're in for a uh, matter of fact, you're on the fast track to mediocrity. And there's nothing wrong with it, yeah. but it's just a question you want to ask yourself uh, if you're working somewhere. Like, and I always felt like if I was going to work for someone else, I want to work for a high quality company that was growing, that was going to challenge me where I can learn the most. Okay. No reason to work for someone else unless I was going to be learning a lot and uh, I, I'm challenged. And that was my goal. And I, f I felt like I got that in my work experiences. Okay, I was about to ask, what, how many um, jobs did you have or how many companies did you work for before you started your own? How much time do you have? <laughs> what I mean, was that? I've been working since I'm 10, but the most significant ones were, you know, I started the, as an original run of Hard Rock Cafe back in 84. Okay. That was a great opportunity, right? When Hard Rock was beginning. And that's think about that's so 30 cool. years later, they're still rocking. Yeah, yeah. Rolling. But at the beginning, there was only two hard rocks uh, before the hotel and everything else. That's so cool. So imagine what I walked away from. <laughs> imagine the therapy I'd be in right now. But, you know, so you got to be careful. Sometimes, you know, you may be in a better situation than you think. So don't run so quick. I may have been running from that situation quicker than I should have. Okay. But I have a different kind of dream and I want to do my own thing. But I'm very grateful to the hard rock. And then also Hyatt Hotels at the time in the early 80s was a really serious hotel chain that was growing and had a great management training program, which was mm -hmm. huge because I had never really worked in a corporate environment. I okay. wanted where I had to wear like a Navy suit every day and a, you know, a red tie and all yeah. that crap. My hair short, you know, at the time I had really long blonde hair. <laughs> my boss made a clip, you know, sent me home to get a haircut. Okay. He would clip my tie. So it was a good experience in getting, you know, kind of that corporate feel of how money gets made. Yeah. Um, I thought it was important for me to work in those kind of environments. I had some other jobs and, I worked full-time in college and, and close to full-time in high school, believe it or not. So I had quite a bit of job experience. Okay. That's amazing. I, I think I, it's important. I think a lot of young kids are so quick. They want to start their own thing, but it isn't about coming up with a good idea. It's the strategy and the experience and being able to hire, fire, 
the financing, the accounting. There's a lot of aspects to a business. Yeah. And I always tell them, like, listen, take five, six years, go learn from some people that know what they're doing, have been doing it, and learn how business gets done and made, make some relationships, you know, come up with another idea. Yeah. But some people, you know, some ideas are not worth waiting for. You got to run with it. You try, but it's hard to come right out of school, right out of high school and get your own business started and rock and roll. But I've seen some successful kids do it. So yeah. I'm not opposed to it if you feel like the time's right. I felt like when I got out of school, even with all the work experience, I still waited seven, eight years before I did it. Okay. Makes sense. That's cool. So I, my mother was like, she was like, you don't even have to go to college. You've been working. You're probably ready to do your own thing now. Okay. But I wanted to go to want to get more well-rounded. And when I got out of school, she was like, I think you should just go work for some really good companies because you're going to want to do something bigger than just big. And it's true. That's I cool. did want to do something. Big. That's cool. So she's like, go work for some good companies. And I think you should really learn how a bigger company works. So it won't be so much of a surprise to you if you, if you build something up. And that was the best advice my mother had given me. Wow. That's amazing. That's super. Yeah. So, so going into, uh, I mean, Excuse me. Graduating high school, it was your focus on going to Syracuse. That was your major focus. Because uh, the main question I want to ask is, a lot of people that are listening, they're either in high school or myself. I graduated high school in June this year, so it's a lot of a younger demographic. So, like, what, what was your day to day life in high school? Where, where were you spending your time? That, and how have you taken from your childhood uh, when it comes to like tactics that you use today, from like a personality standpoint? Well, I mean, first of all, like other high school kids, you know, my time was on, you know. First of all, I was working about 30, 35 hours a week. So time was tight. My time management skills were really going into effect there. Okay. It's like everyone chasing girls, trying to party as much as I could. Yeah. And I was a late bloomer. So I, I never looked at a girl until I was like almost 17. Okay. And then looked at a drink or anything like that I wasn't supposed to do until like 17. So I was like one of these like just play ball at school and work. Yeah. So things were starting to pop when I got in high school. Yeah. But, Working, um, I was very into the business. I love business. You know, future business leaders of America. I was taking yeah. advanced accounting. FBI. Was a <laughs> but wait, let me be clear about one thing. I, first of all, I went to a pass fail high school, so I had no grades. It was an experimental school really? in Coney Island. Um, my mother didn't want me to go to a competitive school because she knew I would try to make the football team. I'd be like Rudy, and uh, you know, work. Never make. I was never talented enough to make those teams, but I would have done anything just to get on them. I'm sure the coach, knowing how hard I would have worked. She Sorry about that. Uh, no. So, so you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, I had no money and I had 760 on my boards combined. Okay. So I, one of the things I tell the kids, like, first of all, don't believe all the hype. I mean, all your friends are going here, going there. And I'd say, listen, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. I had a lot of friends that got into Harvard, got in all these Ivy Leagues, and they can't bend over tighter shoelaces. <laughs> you do your thing. Don't get caught in the hype. Because all these schools, like, I don't know. I mean, the whole process of getting into colleges and everything is way, way overblown up. And I don't even know if it's fair. Okay. I mean, but, you know, I figured out how to finagle my way into Syracuse <laughs> uh, because of all the extracurricular work that I did. Yeah. No grades, no money. I went to the most expensive school in New York State. Wow. So... You, you know, it really, you know, listen, when you want to get what you want, you know, when you want to get what you want, it really comes down to you making a sale, believing in yourself, and also making sure that you don't get too down if you don't get what you want right away. Like, people get crazy because they don't get what they want right away. It doesn't mean yeah. you still can't get what you want. Maybe you have to take a year off. 
and go to a, 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 a prep school. You have to take a year off and go local, get your grades up. Most kids don't realize that after one year, you can reapply to amazing schools and get in. Yeah. So I was happy going to Syracuse. High school for me was a lot of work, um, was some fun. Yep. And, you know, quite a lot of different things. Like I worked in a hospital emergency room. We had a four-on-one program. Okay. So my senior year, I worked in an emergency room in a, in a crazy hospital one day a week. Wow. It was kind of like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my friends, my friends was, uh, his father was a doctor. Okay. He said, listen, Brent, you got to come. You got my dad wants me to be a doctor. I said, I definitely don't want to be a doctor. I'm not going. He goes, <laughs> I'll buy you lunch every Friday. We go to do this thing. Lunch is on me every week. I said, done. Done. Lunch. <laughs> Easy. Meanwhile, I was experienced. So, you know, I always was somebody who, like tried different things. Yeah. And uh, I'm grateful that I did try that. I tried a lot of different things. And, and uh, again, I was working mostly in the food business. I was in the uh, restaurant business, working banquets, catering. Uh, I baked bagels when I was in high school. So okay. that was another trade that I picked up at age. So that kind of thing. Totally. So. I, I have like two more questions and um, I, I want to kind of touch on something that you spoke about at the beginning regarding giving gifts. And I, I think that's something that you talked about regarding to networking and being a gift giver and actually being like passionate about that. When did that philosophy start and what would you say is like the key to actually building lifelong relationships? You know, it's funny. I'll just, I'll show you this here. It's a bag of, I mean, I used to have a card rack in my office. I've always done this. So like, this is, just what I bought yesterday, cards, pens. Okay. You can see that. And behind me is, is drawers of hundreds of greeting cards. I used to make my own cards with rub-ons and send them to clients. Okay. And it's been like one of my little secrets. Like, again, it's not the big gift. It's the thoughtful gift. And I started that literally like out of college, always differentiating my letters. Communication. Yeah. So it's easy to text. It's easy to send an email takes a few minutes to write out a card if you have an unusual card i keep two or three hundred greeting cards of all different depending on the situation yeah and i keep hundreds of, of different kinds of pens so all my notes and cards are creative and it, it stands out and i've been doing that literally since i started steiner wow even before I started steiner and it's a great tip especially now if i was a young kid where so many people use the, the crutch of texting and social media and there's nothing wrong with it it's, yeah. it's cool it's, it's definitely but my message is not all communication is equal. Okay. I don't, I used to be like, ah, texting's cool. Email's cool. A message on Instagram, like all that's cool. But how do you differentiate yourself? Okay. And I still think because so few people are doing it and I get so little mail now, mailing a nice little note card or a small little token gift or a little something is cool. Yeah. And uh, I've been working that gamut for a long time. I can't tell you how many clients. I'm not going to lie. Um, how many women clients that I would personally hand make a card with rub-ons and different color stuff and yeah. send they would like, it's unbelievable. I remember sending and, and somehow, I mean, that's all good in business, but you know, I remember my wife, I met when I was 17, but I hadn't seen her and we re got back together again. I was, I started courting her again. Okay. And uh, I sent her, so we, we got together over Christmas and I sent her her Valentine's day on January 14th. <laughs> she calls me up and says, a handmade card, gorgeous. She says, you know, Valentine's Day is February 14th. Uh, are you sure you didn't make a mistake here? I said, I didn't make a mistake. I just want to make sure my card got there first, early. And it was very clear to anybody who was thinking about sending No way. Stay the hell away. It's my Valentine. And, you know, she loved that. 
That's I mean, amazing. And like, that's the kind of stuff, like, I remember the lady at Macy's, I was trying to get her on the phone for three months. I sent her a card. I had this commemorative plate and I sent her a Hank Aaron signed baseball. And I said to her, I said, look, I know you got a lot on your plate, but I'm going to a lot of home runs with you. Oh my Lord. Oh, this is the thing. I was three months, not even a return call. I get a return call the next day with a line list of accounts and business and appearances. Really? Love that. If that's the kind of creativity you're going to be bringing, I love you. And I, I'm giving you all my business. I wow. love that. I never thought I just sent her a commemorative plate. I found out who one of our favorite players were. Okay. You know, and then I said to the Hank Aaron ball, I said, we're going to be hitting a lot of home runs just like Hank Aaron did. And I know you got a lot on your plate, but I'm going to take all that off your plate and help you. Oh. That's amazing. That's, this is, that's the most valuable thing I've heard this entire time. That's amazing. I, if every time I go on a sales pitch, I find out wherever city I'm going to, I find out who the uh, decision maker's favorite player is or favorite team or the mm -hmm. kids. Favorite, I send them a ball. Okay. Pitcher. I said, I hope you're looking forward to my pitch. Tom Seaver, Gaylord. Wow. Palmer. I sent him a ball in a nice case. I said, I'm really excited about meeting with you. I hope you're looking forward to my pitch. That is amazing. <laughs> that is the key. That is the key. But it oh. works. It works. That's amazing. So last question to wrap it up. And I just want to say that I'm going to, I'm taking notes like mentally right now. And I appreciate that. And I know a lot of people listening are as well, but I want to touch on the book. Cause I know that's, that's the reason that um, we started this, podcast and i'm looking forward to reading it as well i you sent it out and i got it yesterday and i was reading it on the flight as well but um living with purpose i, I want to kind of just go to the roots of it like you said there's the the roots of the tree and that's the purpose when was and i know that you touched on this right at the beginning but as we wrap this up i wanted you to kind of express yourself on what was the day or the time frame or maybe an event that you had said aha let me i want to write this book and i want to do it for a specific reason was there a time in your life that that happened um, it happened a few different times. I thought about it. Then I was a little hesitant. There's two things okay. that happened. One is I read all my reviews on Amazon. So okay. I'm reading this one review on the Balls book, which we did really well. We sold a lot of those books and still sell a lot of those books. Yeah. And one of these, one of the people that wrote, I didn't get a lot of negative reviews, but one of them was like, how convenient it is for Brandon Steiner. Everything seemed to fit right into one another. I mean, how nice everything worked out and he kind of was ripping on me that I wasn't transparent about some of the hardships and dark side of how I created Steiner. Okay. And I, a heart, I was like, I tried to be transparent, but maybe I wasn't as transparent as I could have been. So that was the initiator. Okay. And then it was what really started the book was, is when I sold Steiner back in 2000 and I became wealthier than I ever thought I was going to be, I was standing in front of 437 Madison. And I'm not complaining, by the way, I'm just explaining. So yeah, Blast them so hot. I mean, really, not giving back the money. But, you know, you, you have this moment where, you know, growing up so poor and I never have to work another day the rest of my life. I was 40 at the time. And I realized when I got, I was on top of this ladder thinking I was going to be the man and I was bankrupt. Okay. You know, I wasn't feeling right. I wasn't healthy. I wasn't really the parent I wanted to be. Probably could have been a better friend, a better husband. Yeah. Feeling like something was missing. And I went on this. I just really went on a rampage the same way. And I say to people that are listening, if you spend 90% of your time just figuring out how to do the money grab, and I, mm -hmm. I get, I respect the money grab. Yeah. Don't be surprised when you wake up at 40 and all you know how to do is the money grab. You got to spend some time growing and learning about the other aspects about, you know, everything socially, yeah. 
uh, all that stuff. You got to go to conferences to learn how to be a better spouse. You got to put the same, not the equal time, you some time into the other stuff, into your health, fitness. So as I was going through this process, and that's how I developed my blog and brought, you know, my blog. Yeah. 750,000 people get my blog now. Wow. And as I'm developing that, I'm reaching out to some of the highest quality people that can teach me the most. And I just felt like I wanted to share that with my friends and family and people that my customers. And before you know it, it started really spiraling. Yeah. That's what I said. You know, so you gotta put this in a book. Okay. So the people out there, I'll say this, like money does not solve all problems. So I know you're out there and you, I know uh, priorities to make a lot of money. So you yeah. have a big car, but there's a limit to what you could do with money, especially if your health's not right. If you yeah. have nobody with, and I'd say, if you're, in, if you're into making money, go for it, man, make as much money as you can. I'm not yeah. here to talk to, but I am here to say, keep your eye on the other stuff though. Don't ignore it. There's no such thing as work life balance. Like that's bullshit. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to sit there, go home at five and all that. Crap. Yeah. Yeah. You're on a roll, roll. Don't walk away from the table. Keep rolling. Yeah. But if you're on a roll for two or three years and you haven't really eaten right or you're not exercising, that's a problem. Yeah. So if you go to brandonsnyder.com, by the way, you can get the blog. Totally. But today, if you go, I'm giving away 22, 22 rules of my favorite parts of negotiating. So all you have to do is go to brandonsnyder.com. You'll get this incredible packet of okay. my favorite 20 rules to negotiating. And then there's a special discount on the book. Amazing. Uh, where you get the ball free when you buy the living on purpose. Just, I, just, I set that up for you to know we were going to do this. Totally. So you get the book and you get this book and the ball. You get the balls book free, and then you get the twenty-two laws of negotiating, which is probably worth the twenty dollars you're buying the book for anyway. There's yeah. Twenty-two laws of negotiating, and it's not typical negotiating tactics. I will uh, tell you for sure. And I'll make sure everyone listening. I'll make sure that link is down below that so you can check that out and. Last thing, so that's that's the best place for them to find the book, correct? I mean, you could get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble too, but if you go to, if you go on my site, you get the twenty rules, and you can get the free balls book too. So that's cool. Amazing, yeah. I'll make sure I put that down below. Everyone listening, make sure you take the time today to pick up the book, living with living on purpose. And I really, like I said before, Brandon, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know that you're super busy, and I'm gonna make sure that everyone listening to this really gets your message across. And overall, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show, man. I'm looking forward to following you, man. I'm going to use this app all the time, too. I love this app. This Absolutely. Is cool.